Well, good morning, Gospel Hope. Morning. Well, this message that I'm about to preach, in, in one sense, uh, could be a little challenging. Because if you were following along with the passage there that Rod read, it's about money. And sometimes when you talk about money in the church, people start to get a little squeamish, as it were. Um, but actually, actually, so Daniel is one of them, apparently. Okay, what? So actually, this message for me is not terribly hard to preach for a couple of reasons. First of all, if you listen to what Rashad said, um, this really is about supporting gospel ministers in the work. And I just want to tell you, like, this is not coming from a place of angst at all. Like, I'm not angry. I'm not upset. I'm not frustrated. Uh, from its very inception, Gospel Hope has been very generous to their leaders. And so I'm not coming in a sense of saying, like, man, I just got an axe to grind here, and I'm trying to get a pay raise. That's not what I'm trying to do. Okay, so that's one. That's one reason it's not super challenging. Second reason uh, that this message is not really hard to preach is it's just what the Bible says. Um, you know, if you read the text, that's what it says in the text. So we're just going to explore what the text says. And I want to argue that this is actually one of the reasons why it is helpful and healthy for a church to just regularly walk through passage of scriptures. For instance, last week we were in, for, oh, I'm sorry, kids, you're dismissed. Go, 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 go. There you go. This way, this way. There they go. All right. Very good. Um, if you were with us last week, we were just in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And so we preached through that passage. And guess where we are? We're in 1 Corinthians chapter. And the advantage of walking through passages of scripture like this is it allows churches to have conversations that they maybe wouldn't typically have. Um, you know, I probably would have like just never pulled this passage out of a hat and said, let's preach a message on 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 and following. I, I probably would have never chosen that on my own. But because we're trying to just preach through the book of 1 Corinthians and listen to the whole counsel of God, well, here it is. And I think we're going to have an encouraging conversation today about a topic that maybe we would naturally steer away from. So God in his grace has spoken about a wide variety of topics, and this is one of them that we're going to explore together today as we dive into God's word. So let's pray, and then we will jump into our text this morning. Father, it is all about you. We have already sung that with our words and with our hearts. I pray now from your word, you would once again remind us that it is about you. And gospel ministry is about exalting the great name of our God and spreading the great gospel of the Savior. So I pray today that you would help us to hear from you in your word. Would you stretch us and challenge us and encourage us and build us up in the faith? Lord, speak to your people today. Lord, hide me behind the cross of Christ. In his precious name we pray. Amen. Sadly, all too many of us know stories of so-called Christian ministry leaders supporting opulent lives by asking people for extravagant amounts of money. Have you all heard stories like this before, right? I remember back in the 1980s, there was one particular television preacher that said, if I don't receive $8 million in three months, 
the Lord is going to kill me. You, ever, you guys heard this one? He made it. He made it. Um, he's still, well, he's not living anymore, but he made it through that one. Um, or more recently, there was another televangelist who said, the Lord told me that I need to upgrade my private jet. Not a, he didn't like need a private jet. He needed an upgrade of his already current private jet, which was apparently a little bit rickety. And he needed to go up to the Falcon 7 model. The Lord told him this. This was the model that he needed. That was a cool price tag of $54 million. His justification, ready, I quote, I really believe that if Jesus was physically on earth today, he wouldn't be riding a donkey. Okay, all right, yeah. Now, cringeworthy statements like this have understandably caused many people to think money and ministers should have absolutely nothing to do with one another. In fact, it seems like that is exactly where the Corinthians had landed. When you read 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul had been in the city of Corinth. He started that church, and there was apparently a group of people in the church who were opposing Paul. They didn't like his ministry. They doubted his apostleship. And then they were making the argument that it was inappropriate for Paul to receive any financial support for his ministry in that city. So we pick that up in verse number one of 1 Corinthians chapter nine. Look at what it says. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If others, I am not an apostle, at least I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife as do other apostles and brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? So to put it very simply, I think Paul is arguing that ministry wages are appropriate for ministry workers. I think that's his point, really. That's what he's arguing in this text. Ministry wages are appropriate for ministry workers. And this is not the only times that Paul says this. This is not just in 1 Corinthians 9. This is not an isolated instance. Go over to 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse number 17. Let the elders, or elder in the Bible is a pastor, elders or pastors, those are simultaneous or uh, synonymous terms, be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. And the laborer deserves his wages. The simple principle is this. It is strategic for Christ's mission for some Christian leaders to earn their living from the ministry. Let me say that again. It is strategic for Christ's mission for some church leaders to earn their living from the ministry. So the implication for us is straightforward, okay? It's very straightforward. It's simply this. We must faithfully support gospel ministers. I think that's what Paul is driving the Corinthians to, and he's driving us to by extension. We must faithfully support gospel ministers. Then the rest of the first half of 1 Corinthians 9, Paul basically makes his case. So he kind of outlines several reasons why it is strategic and appropriate 
for certain ministers of the gospel to receive financial support. So I want to unpack for us from the text, Lord willing, four reasons for supporting ministers of the gospel directly from 1 Corinthians 9. Four reasons I want to give you from this passage of scripture. First one is this. Ministry is hard. The first reason that Paul says that ministers of the gospel should be supported is because at times ministry is difficult. Look at verse number seven. Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? So you notice here, Paul employs three analogies to refer to gospel ministry. The first one is a soldier. The second one is a farmer. And the third one is a shepherd. So being a pastor, being a church leader is like being a soldier, being a shepherd, and being a farmer. What do all three of those vocations or occupations have in common? I would say at least one thing is this. They are all physically demanding. They all require hard work. That's the reality. Being a shepherd requires hard work. Being a farmer requires hard work. Being a soldier requires hard work. Now, why do you say that's important? Well, because sometimes we have this false impression that because ministry to other people is godly, then somehow it's supposed to be effortless, right? Do you ever have that impression that, man, because I'm ministering to somebody, it should be easy, right? Or do you ever think like, man, I'm going to go over to my coworker and share the gospel with them. And then they're going to like fall down there on their face and say, what must I do to be saved? Look, don't hold your breath. I've been a pastor for 20 years. That has never happened to me. Or, or you're going to go and have a difficult conversation. And you're going to say, brother Daniel. I love you, brother. And I know you're kind of out of walk, not walking with the Lord right now. And I need to confront you. And I need to tell you to turn from your ways. And I want you to repent, brother. And we think when we have those conversations, Jalen's going to roll up to the keyboard and start playing for us, right? He's not. Sometimes we think that we're doing ministry, like it's going to somehow like violin music will start playing in the background because it's a godly thing to do. Is ministry godly? Yes or no? Yes. Is it always easy? Yes or no? No. Just because we sometimes have to do, look, look, we do good things, but they don't mean that they are easy things. In fact, over and over again, as we read the Bible, you know what ministry is referred to? It's referred to a word that starts with the word letter W and ends with irk. Ministry is? And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers to equip the saints for the? This means you say it, and it is work of the ministry. Epaphroditus came close to death for the? Of Christ. But as for you, exercise self-control in everything. Endure hardship. Do the of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. The point is this. Ministry requires effort. 
We must disabuse ourselves of the notion that effortless and enjoyable are the same thing. From a biblical standpoint, easy and godly are not the same thing. Easy in the Bible does not equal godly. Paul urges us to support gospel ministers because gospel ministry is hard. Now, personally, listen, full disclosure, I don't even like to say that statement. I don't like to say the words, ministry is hard. Here's why. I love being a pastor. And are there days where it's tough? Yes. Are there things about it that I don't always relish? Yes. But by and large, I love being in ministry. And it is hard, but it's not hard in a way that I hate it. It's hard in a way that I enjoy it. Like, I actually like the challenge sometimes. I like the challenge of figuring out what a passage of Scripture says. I like the challenge of preaching a message that is about pastors getting paid. Are there potential landmines here, yes or no? Yeah. But I like this challenge. I like studying for it. I like presenting it right now. This is fun to me. I like the challenge of moving. I like, I even, it's kind of sick. I even like the challenge of like figuring out what we're going to do with COVID. Like it's kind of fun to me. But here's the reality. I don't want to say ministry is hard and like, oh, well, poor me. But like ministry is hard in the sense that it requires that you give yourself to it and push into it. And so we should support gospel ministers for that reason. The other day, um, my, my two oldest boys had a soccer game. Um, and it, it was one of the most enjoyable games I've watched in a long time. It was four to three. They won. That's why it was enjoyable in part. Four to three, they won. And they won by a goal being scored with three seconds left in the game. It, it was super exciting game. It was intense. It was very physical. They were all like beat up and bruised and bloodied at the end. And I remember Trisha and I and the boys are walking to the car. Okay, we're going to the car, and they're kind of limping because they got beat up so bad. And Calvin, uh, my 16-year-old, looks over at me, and he says, Dad, that was a hard game. And I said, I know. And he's like, that was one of the most fun games that I've ever played. And I was like, yes, exactly. Because sometimes hard is actually enjoyable. And here's why I want to say this. I want to say support gospel ministry because ministry is hard, but I want to remind us that ministry is often demanding and always rewarding. Look, whether you are engaged as a volunteer or vocationally in ministry, let us not forget no pain, no gain. We should support gospel ministers because ministry is hard, but all of us in one sense are engaged in that same work. And it's not always easy. So let's divorce this idea that effortless equals enjoyable. No, sometimes ministry is hard, so let's roll up our sleeves and get in the game. Number two, we should support gospel ministers not only because ministry is hard, but because ministry is hopeful. When we do ministry, or when we empower others to do ministry, you do so with an expectation of results. All right, hear that statement again. I just get that in your, in your head. When we do ministry or when we empower others to do ministry, we do so with an expectation of results. Look at verse number 10. Here's where I take that from. He who plows ought to plow in hope. 
And he who threshes should thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. Again, Paul's analogy is instructive. It's an agricultural one once again. And when you go out and you plow the field, nobody goes out and plows the field for leisure. You know what my hobby is? It's plowing the field. No. You go out and plow a field because you want a crop to come in. You're looking forward in hope that this work will produce some results, right? You let go of seeds which are valuable in and of themselves. You let them go out of your hand. You let go of that resource in the hope that what? It would produce more resources. Your ministry in that sense is always a hope-filled endeavor. It should be producing results. Look, I'm not interested in Gospel Hope Church maintaining the status quo. Because that's not the right aim of ministry. Let's just kind of... The church is not a cruise ship. The church is not a cruise ship just to keep its occupants happy and maintain status quo. The, The church is more like an aircraft carrier where it is going close to the battle and sending people off. We're not interested in staying the same. Christian life is about growth and transformations. Living things reproduce. Living things grow. Living things change. And that is the aim of Christian ministry. The the principle is this. The aim of ministry is multiplication. That's what we should be about. The application then is that we should support gospel ministers. Why? Because we want multiplication to happen. We should give to gospel ministers because we want to see life changed. We want to see the gospel preached. We want to see churches planted. We want to see the darkness pushed back. We want to see the hurting helped. We want to see lives changed and sent out to take the gospel where it isn't. We should be about the support of gospel ministers because we love the multiplication of the gospel. Look, personally, I I happily give to Gospel Hope Church. I, I happily do because I know I'm confident that when I give, it's going to enable Rod to faithfully teach God's word and look for ways to bless our community. I know that that's going to happen. I happily give to our church because I know that Manuel and Jenna, on our behalf, are going to go down to the Dominican Republic and plant a church that you and I could not plant, and they're going to seek to multiply that church, and people are going to be saved in a small part because I contributed to that, and you contributed to that. I happily give because I know that Todd and Brittany are over in Dubai ministering to college students from all over the world who come over to the house, and they're sharing Christ with they baptized one not too long ago, even in the midst of this uh, pandemic I happily support that work. Why? Because I want to see the gospel multiplied. Truly, I really do. This seems strange, but I really feel a strange sense of joy every time I get that email that says, your donation has been received. Because in a small way, it reminds me that I'm participating with fellow workers in the gospel. If I could bring this all to a head, I would say it this way. We should support gospel ministers Because we have gospel hope for a gospel harvest. Look, you should expect things to happen. That's the the nature of ministry. Ministry is, by its definition, a hope-filled endeavor. 
So let's get behind gospel ministers because we have hope in the harvest that the gospel can bring forth in people's lives. Three, ministry is hands-on. Now, this is by far the most practical of them. So I've kind of thought, thought a little bit theologically about these first two points. This one is just very, very practical. One of the reasons that we should get behind gospel ministers is because ministry is a hands-on experience and it requires a great deal of time. In the, in the Old Testament era, when priests and Levites would go and serve at the temple, God orchestrated it so they would receive contribution from their temple service. Why? Because in one sense, they had to set aside their livelihood and all their other time to dedicate themselves to what was going on in the temple. And God didn't want them to be distracted by the other things, but able to focus their energies on serving them. Verse number 13 of chapter 9. Don't you know that those who perform the temple services eat the food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in the offerings of the altar? Part of the reason for this is simply because temple service was costly in terms of time. Let me give you one example. Leviticus chapter 4. If the anointed priest sins, bringing guilt on the people, he is to present to the Lord a young unblemished bull as a sin offering for the sin he has committed. He is to bring the bull to the entrance of the tent of meaning before the Lord. Lay his hands on the bull's head and slaughter it before the Lord. The anointed priest will then take some of the bull's blood and bring it into the tent of meaning. The priest is to dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle some of it seven times before the Lord in front of the curtain of the sanctuary. The priest is to apply some of the blood to the horns of the altar of fragrant incense that is before the Lord in the tent of meaning. He must pour out the rest of the bull's blood at the base of the altar of the burnt offering that is at the entrance of the tent of meeting. He is to remove all the fat from the bull of the sin offering, the fat surrounding the entrails, all the fat that is on the entrails, and the two kidneys, and the fat that is on them from the loins. He will also remove the fatty lobe of the liver with its kidneys, just as the fat is removed from the ox of the fellowship sacrifice. The priest is to burn them on the altar of burnt offering, but the hide of the bull and all its flesh with its head and legs and its entrail and waist and the rest of the bull he must bring to a ceremonial clean place outside the camp to the ash heap, and it must burn on a wood fire, and it is to be burned on the ash heap. Ryan, why are you reading all that? Because that doesn't take five minutes. That takes all day. And guess how many sacrifices that they had to make like that? Hundreds. And so God says, listen, so those that do this, give them support so that they can do this. Enable them to do the ministry that I have called them to do. Then Paul makes the application to the present day. Look at verse number 14. In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should earn their living from the gospel. There's a brutal practicality to this. Preaching sermons, guess what? Guess what? It takes time. Training leaders takes time. Organizing outreach takes time. Providing counsel takes time. You know, even as I was typing that very sentence right there, I was aware that my ability to get this sermon ready was only possible because of the generosity of God's people. What a gift. What a grace. Hopefully it's a, it's a gift both ways, right? It's certainly a gift to me 
I hope it's also a gift to you that you're saying, you know what? I may never preach a sermon. I may never go overseas and plant a church, but I can be involved in that work through my generosity and free up the times of those who are equipped to do so so that the gospel ministry can go forward. Ministry is a hands-on experience, and it reminds us of this, that the church needs both shepherds and supporters. Look, not everybody in this room should be a pastor. You just shouldn't. But the church needs both goers and senders. It needs shepherds and supporters. It needs both ways. There's a great story uh, from the British uh, missionary William Carey. William Carey uh, went back in that time, in the 1790s, to India, which during that season, there was virtually no gospel influence there. And Carey was like, I will pack up my life and I will go and I will begin to preach Christ over in this country where there's very little, if any, gospel witness going on. He began to speak to his fellow pastors in England about this. And, And some of them were convicted and were like, man, William, what should we do? Like, how? How can we be involved in this? I can't pack up my life and go. I'm not able to do that. And Carrie made this famous statement to some of his friends, simply this. I will go down into the pit if you will hold the ropes. I think he's a beautiful analogy for church work. It's simply this. Some of us need to be on the front lines, right? And some of us need to hold the ropes. And both of them are critical. Both of them are essential. You can't be on the front lines. You can't go down to the pit unless somebody's holding ropes. And there's no sense in holding the ropes if nobody goes down in the pit. So we need to be working together and embracing all that God has called us to do. It reminds us of this principle that runs throughout the scripture. Every believer has a role to play in God's drama of saving the world. All of us are important. All of us has a part to play. And the parts are not all identical, but they're all critical to the drama unfolding of God choosing to save his people from here in Atlanta and around the globe. We all need to participate in gospel ministry. Number four, ministry is a hunger. Now, this point is a little counterintuitive, but maybe the most critical of them all. So let me unpack what I mean. Look again at the text, verse number 15. For my part, I have used none of these rights, nor have I written these things that they may be applied in my case. You know, pause. What's going on here? So Paul has essentially argued for the first 14 verses that it is right and appropriate to support gospel ministers, right? I mean, that's been his argument. And then he gets to verse number 15 and he basically says, I'm not asking anything from you. So he makes this case that it is right and appropriate to support gospel ministers. And then he says, but I don't need anything from you. So why this seeming reversal? I think it's because Paul's motivation for gospel ministry was not primarily driven by external reward, but by internal hunger. Look at the next verse, verse number 16. For if I preach the gospel... I have no reason to boast because I am compelled to preach. In other words, he's saying, I'm going to preach no matter what you do. Like, your financial support has no bearing on whether I preach the gospel or not. And then he makes this statement, and woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. The Corinthians didn't need to give Paul a dime 
There was nothing that they could do or not do that would prevent him from preaching the gospel. If I could put it very simply, the primary motivation of gospel, of faithful gospel ministers is the proclamation of Christ and him crucified. But here's the thing. The Corinthians were missing out on a wonderful opportunity. Because when the Corinthians heard Paul's heart, when they saw what type of man he was, when they saw the type of ministry that he was doing, they should have been eager to get behind him. To say, what can we do to support this brother so that he can be free to focus on the preaching of the gospel? Paul, we don't want you making tents. You get out there. You are so skilled. You are so gifted at this. You get out there. I'll go make tents. We want to empower you to do what God has called you to do. We are so foolish to even debate about this. We want to be behind you. Listen, I'll be honest with you. Like, I'm super excited about Cindy Manuel and Jenna. And I'm like, we should do everything that we can to get behind them. Because why? They're going to do a great job. Like, they're going to do a great job. If you know them at all, you know. They're going to do a great job. So what should we do? We shouldn't be like, well, you know what? You should probably go down there and get a job. Not if it's in our power. If we have anything to say about it, we should say, no, we want to release you so that more people can come to know Jesus. Because that is a privilege to be involved in what you're doing. It is a blessing. It is a way that we can hold the ropes and we see the hunger in your heart. And so we should be lining up to give you gospel support. I just want to pause for a moment and say that God has been so kind to gospel hope in giving us just this type of minister in Pastor Rod. Just want to praise the Lord for my partner in crime here for a few minutes. There are many things that we can praise God for about his leadership, but one of them is his hunger to see Jesus proclaimed. You cannot spend any time with Rod or hear him preach and not realize that he is a gospel-loving proclaimer of Christ and him crucified. I mean, there is no way a human being can sweat that much if they're not passionate about what they're talking about. You may realize that about Pastor Rod, but what you might not realize is that for around 20 years... Rod gave leadership to several different churches and never received a paycheck. In fact, when when Gospel Hope started, Pastor Rod was essentially a volunteer pastor, serving the church while getting his paycheck, making his living from somewhere else. I used to tease him, Rod, when are you going to stop working for the devil? Um, I tell you, one of the highlights of my ministry, and I don't mean at Gospel Hope, I just mean ministry, period, has been the day when Rod and I were sitting at a restaurant and I was able to say to him, hey man, I think Gospel Hope is at the point where we can bring you on full time. I remember announcing that at one of our members meetings. How many of you were there for that? Do you remember that moment? And I thought the the roof was going to cave in because of so many cheers and the excitement and rightfully so. I say this simply to affirm that I am grateful that Rod is my pastor. And it brings me a great deal of joy to know that every time that I give to Gospel Hope, part of those resources go towards enabling Rod to give his time towards ministry. I'm a shepherd, but I'm also a sheep. 
And so I know I'm a little bit biased in this. I, I, I can't help but be. I just bring what I do to the table. But I'm not arguing this point because, like, I want a pay raise. I don't. I'm arguing this point because I think it's biblical and I think we're uniquely blessed. I'm grateful that the shepherd has blessed our church with at least one shepherd who has a hunger for gospel ministry. I'll let you be the judge of the other guy. He's a little bit questionable at times. But as I land this plane, I mean, can I be very transparent? I read passages addressed to pastors in the scripture. And if I didn't know Jesus, it would keep me up at night. Here's what it says, 1 Peter chapter 5. Shepherd God's flock among you, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not out of greed for money, but eagerly, not lording it over them entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Or Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers. Shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Being a pastor is a weighty thing. That's not a complaint. That's just reality. And I will tell you before the Lord right now. It's a job I relish. It's a role I treasure. And I don't want to do anything else. Rod and I, and I know I speak for him on this, we count it a privilege to serve God's people. Pastoral ministry is an amazing privilege, but it's also an awesome responsibility. And it is literally overwhelming to think that God in his grace has allowed me because of the generosity of God's people to spend huge chunks of my time doing the work of the ministry. I mean, I'm so blessed, so grateful that God in his kindness would choose somebody not so awesome to be involved in his awesomeness and to serve you folks. And let me tell you from the bottom of my heart, Rod and I do love you deeply. We're so grateful for this church. So grateful for these people. And man, we just want to do right. We want to be godly. We want to be faithful. We want to be holy men of God that try to shepherd God's flock well. But it is also an awesome responsibility. Do you see how it described it? Like one day, Rod and I will stand before the Lord and not just give an account for ourselves, but give an account for you. Oh, God help us. I think about that often. I will give an account for these dear people that Christ bought with his blood. So you should expect us to work hard. And we will. We will put our hands to the plow because that's what God has called us to do. 
And you should expect us to stand in this pulpit and week in, week out, feed you with God's word. And before God, before God, that's what we intend to do. So what is the application? Well, two things as we just wrap up. First thing is this. Pray for your shepherds. Oh, Lord. You know, Paul in, in 2, Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians chapter 2, he's talking about gospel ministry and the fact that when he ministers, life and death are in the balance. And he concludes this kind of discussion with this question. Who's adequate for these things? And you know how I answer that? Not me. I'm not adequate to have my occupation deal with life and death every day. Not like a physician that deals with life and death that here today, gone tomorrow. But life and death forever. And so pray for your pastors. I get texts from you guys. And I'm just so blessed when you say, I am praying for you. So please, will you just make that a regular part of your life? Not because I'm like somehow like want to be the center of attention or narcissistic. But like I just realized that I need it. And Rod needs it. And you need us to need it. Just pray that God would give us his favor and spiritual power and guard us from sin and guard us from foolishness and help us to walk in wisdom and give us power when we proclaim God's word and that his spirit would be on us and that he would protect our children from going astray. Just pray. Not just because I want to live my best life. It's because I love the church and I love you people and it matters if I'm healthy and Rod is healthy to your health as well. So pray for us. Second thing is this. Don't just pray for your shepherds, but praise the shepherd. God could have created any world that he wanted to, right? He's infinitely creative and infinitely powerful. And yet he chose to create a world where shepherds and sheep exist. Where pastors need churches and churches need pastors. That was God's design. Like it wasn't a bunch of pastors in a room like, hey, how can we make this a job? No. Christ is like, I'm going to build my church. And one of the ways I'm going to build my church is by giving it leaders to guide them to take care under shepherds, under my care. And so, look, this was God's design. So here's what it means. Our shepherding is ultimately really about his shepherding. Here's what I mean. If in any way, Pastor Rod and I are a blessing to you, and you receive grace from us, I want you to just take a moment and say, you know what, I'm really grateful for my earthly shepherd. But the point of that is really to point me to one who loves me even more. Their good care for me is an evidence of one who cares even more for me. So if a sermon is a blessing to you, say, hey, yeah, thanks, Ryan. Praise God. Thanks, Rod. Praise the Lord. Because he's the one that's actually letting the grace come to you. We are just echoes of him. And then here's the other side of the coin. When Pastor Rod and I fail you or disappoint you or hurt you, which we inevitably will. We don't want to, but we will. Then remember that even when we fail you, there is a shepherd who won't. Your relationship with God is not ultimately dependent on us, but we are to point you to him even in our strengths and our weaknesses. So let that be a double-edged sword. Let our grace that we receive point us to the grace of the good shepherd and let our failings point us to the faithfulness of the good shepherd who loves you even more.
Let's praise the one who loves us far more than Rod and I. Man, I think about this church. And I'm like, man, I'm just so, I'm just so grateful to be a part of Gospel Hope Church. I, I don't know what, how it was to say. Like that God would let me do this. I, I just, it's overwhelming. And I love each and every one of you. But God loves you so much more. He purchased you with his blood. And so let's praise him right now. Let's praise the shepherd. We stand on your feet and I want to pray over us. And then I want us to just lift our voices in praise to the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. Oh, Lord. We thank you for what you've done in building your church. In drawing people to yourself and even giving her fallible yet faithful leaders. But Lord, let our attention not be focused on the horizontal, but on the vertical. Lord, let us remember that there is a shepherd that loves us exceedingly. He came and lived the life we should have lived and died the death we should have died and died on the cross to make us one with him. Oh Lord, thank you for the good shepherd. I pray for Rod, I pray for myself that we would be a dim echo of the ones who loves his sheep infinitely. Maybe right now, lift our voices in praise of Christ. In his name we pray.